be millennial musicians in 20 years. It's not just about being young. It's a truly our point of view and our experience. We grew up in a time before the internet. We also saw the switch of everything. We saw the switch of, of the internet. I think we're just a bit more open-minded. everyone and welcome back after a few months to this new episode of The Hustler Musician. First of all, I want to apologize because it's been months that I haven't been releasing episodes and I know that my guests have been waiting for the episode to be aired and I want to apologize the guests and the listeners who listen to the show. And now it feels so right to come back to the podcast. It's like therapy for me since I moved to London. It's been so hard for me to do it because I was very busy with side jobs that I got and not only that, I have COVID right now but you know nothing happens i'm super healthy right now and it didn't hit me badly so with all of that going on i've been procrastinating so much and i've been so flaky all this time so basically i was not working on myself i just left behind the podcast and music i'm not gonna lie it's very hard for me to stay positive i'm not talking only about the pandemic i'm also talking about in general and my struggle finding purpose and meaning in my life that has been very painful and that's why i'm showing up here with you guys just to share my pain because we are not alone in this and that's why we are here to create to share stories to share pains so that we all can learn from it i personally do not do therapy I do therapy for myself through books and podcasts and I consider the books my mentors and therapists. If you feel that everything is going wrong for you or the opposite way you ever dream of, probably it is a sign that you are closer to your purpose. Sometimes we are very lost that we don't even know what questions to ask, whether it is to our boss or to ourselves. Anyways, probably at this point you're asking, why don't you go straight to the point? what everything you are saying has to do with this episode. So today's guest is Julian Loida, a Boston-based musician, educator, and podcaster. He's the podcast host of A Millennial Musician, where he interviews musicians to connect with them, share stories, and bring value to people. That is the beauty of making podcasts by sharing stories so that your story can serve to a lot of people and connect with them. So what are musicians talking about today with all these internet revolution going on? So without further ado, to the guest, Julian Loida. It's so fun to have you. Thank you so much for being here. So you launched this new podcast, The Millennium Musician, during lockdown. Same as me, because I also launched this podcast during lockdown. You know, to start this podcast, I would like to ask you, why did you start the podcast? I wanted to start the podcast to share the stories of people in my life that you don't have to buy PR person to ha tell your story and to have it be found. It's completely free. You know, and I wanted these people's stories to be told because... The reality is that all these people you see on TV, they're amazing. But there's also people like that we know and that, you know, just are walking around Boston who are unbelievable and will blow anyone's minds just as much as Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, really, you know, so it's I understand the value and why those people are where they are. And it's amazing. And they built that over time. 
But there are so many young, amazing musicians who just they're playing on the street, and because they are, don't, their name isn't a name. People don't think of it. You know, it's like, I don't know that. So that's that's a bit of my rant about why I started it. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, and I really wanted to catalog these stories and find you know for years later that people can go back and hear what young people thought and. Also thinking about millennial musicians, we'll be millennial musicians in 20 years too. It's not just about being young. It's truly our point of view and our experience. What do you think are the pros and cons of, of being a millennial musician? I think one of the pros actually is that we grew up in a time before the internet. I didn't start texting until I was in college. I had a childhood. I had a childhood where we played outside. You know, we came out from school, we played outside until the sun went down. And we did that every day. I grew up with like probably 20 plus kids. And I had a real childhood. I, I didn't yeah. just grow up looking at a screen and play video games all the time. I think that's really great and important. But, I, you know, we also saw the switch of everything. We saw the switch of people being scared to have their kids outside, the switch of even just the big gun violence, the, the switch of the Internet. And I think people who grow up with only having technology, it will become a necessity. And I think that may not be the most healthy thing, but I guess time will tell. So that's one thought. I think younger people just experience diversity more and it's just, it's not something you try. It just is our lives. And we're so, I think, interested in other parts of the world. And we've been able to see it through the internet and hmm. TV shows and Instagram and and see other cultures and their food and their dance and their music. And I think we're mm -hmm. just a bit more open-minded. And I hope that I'm I hope that I'm always that way. I hope I'm 90 years old and like super, super open-minded. Yeah, another thing that, that I found out about the technology and the millennial musicians, especially with Spotify and Instagram and everything going on, is that they think that the more streams you have, the more fans you have in case of a musicians. Mm. And actually, I don't know if that's 100% true. I mean, will they go to your show? Mm. People get confused a little bit about that, about streams and, and real followers, real fans. So that's something that I can mm -hmm. see a little bit in millennial musicians. They get a little bit confused. I think it's honestly like a big lie. It's like inflation. I mean, it's not real. You know, I, I wish they would put, I think musician ads should be like that. And then they put what they made off of that, you know, and mm -hmm. then how many people showed up to their shows, you know, or like these types of things. Because, yeah, it's just inflation. Even last night I was showing some friends like this influencer. I was like, oh, this person's so cool. Look at the blah, blah, blah. And then they were seeing their number of followers. And then they they were looking at the person's pictures and seeing that they had like a significant, significant, like low amount of likes on each photo. And they were like, I think this person may have just bought all their likes on this thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, really? I didn't even, you know, I didn't even cross my mind, you know, that that's like a thing. So I think we're still really learning that it almost feels like this peacock thing where everyone's just doing their, pe like trying to throw these numbers out in the world. And, and I do it too, because it's like, that's what people listen to sometimes. You still, as a human being in the real world, need to understand the reality of what those numbers mean and, and how things convert. By the way, how did you get 1,000 downloads on your podcast? I try to be, I try to bring people on the show who I'm passionate about and I don't do the thing. I, I, I see some other podcasts where I'm like, I wonder if they bring them on because they know they have a big following, which is smart to do. But I, I, I'm kind of trying to be authentic to how I feel about it. I had one episode kind of blow up a little bit, tells about a really horrible experience in college she had with her teacher and 
goes pretty in depth with it, never says his name, but it's a really powerful episode. I I think people, her and some of those that teacher and that community, and I think they mm. I think they all listened to it and I hope hope that they did and you know, some things mm. have changed. I hope, or at least they think differently about some things and are more aware because there's some really bad things that have happened. And I repost the day after, I'll post a video like a week after or something. And I don't even know if these people listen, you know, it is nice when someone reaches out and even just says they listened. It means a lot, you know, sometimes people have reached out and said really nice things, you know, I think the podcast thing that people don't talk about a lot, but I think it's a calling. There's a reason why we spend crazy hours and putting ourselves out there in the world. What do you think about the record labels nowadays and the DIY? Because now... As millennial musicians, we have a lot of things in our hands, you know, a lot of things that we can control. Therefore, we do not need a label anymore. In my early 20s was like, screw record labels, they're the worst and stuff. And then I kind of had that reiterated by producers and people I've worked with. And then um, I put out my solo record and and I done all self-release stuff. And it's nice. It's good. Mm -hmm. But... At some in some of the bands I've been in, I would go back and put it on a record label. But so I the thing with record label, I'm not trying to give a record label any sort of rights of the music. I would probably mm-hmm. just buy buy them to put on the CD as a sign of legitimacy. When you do totally self-release, you're just gonna hustle. You're gonna be hustling that music forever. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. But for me, I, I kind of recently looked into some record labels, jazz ones where you're basically just paying to have their name on it. And I don't think they take any sort of percentage. Hmm. And so you're sort of, it's almost like a PR type of thing where the name's on it, they're going to send some email blasts out about it. You're going to be able to say like, I am with Outside and Music or some you know record label thing and kind of get in their sphere, sphere. And then I feel like I could reach out to other artists on that label and possibly connect. And I, you know, I could kind of hmm. work that. And I feel like as a soloist, for me, you know, when I play in a band, I can promote a band and I do really well in that setting in a promotion point of view. Mm -hmm. But when you're by yourself as a soloist and you're promoting yourself, that is tricky because it can look a bit egotistical or narcissistic because you're promoting yourself. So when you're a soloist, it's like I'm looking for ways that other people can share my content that I can Mm -hmm. then reshare in a sense because someone else saying a great musician or something is goes so much farther than me like putting out content of myself someone is gonna have to legitimize you in a way and even when that happens if you're the one going out saying that oh look this person said i'm legit they're still gonna be like yeah but you're saying that you know there's just always gonna be a little wall subconsciously and so i think they'll if you're self-releasing i think it may not be the worst thing to find a record label that's very cool not gonna take your rights your publishing or or any sort of rights and if you're promoting yourself under your own name it can be hard and having some other signs of legitimacy is going to help turn some of those people who know about you over to being fans and being like, oh, he's on New Amsterdam or, oh, he's on blah, blah, or, oh, he's on a record label. <laughs> you know, like even if you bought that, that's what and that's what's so ridiculous to me about these audience members is like they don't understand all the stuff was bought. It's all just money. The people who you see on the ads and oh, and on the this and on the that they're someone just bought all of it. It's all just money. It doesn't have anything to do with their talent 99% of the time. I mean, I'm I'm being grandiose, but a lot of the time it just has to do with money. You know what I mean? It's just who has the most money to put into PR? Who has the most money to buy this? And that, I mean, it, I, I that's been my experience is like, oh man, if I had just a million bucks, you could just buy your way to the top. 
And I think people do that. Yeah, actually, that's something that frustrated me a lot from music, even made me decide to take a break from music because that's that was something so frustrating mm -hmm. and so painful for me. Because it's like, if you're poor, what the hell you're going to do? Yeah, being like a solo artist is even worse because you're competing. Everyone is spending so much money on videos, on amazing mm -hmm. studios exactly. where they record on PRs and mm -hmm. putting a lot of money. Then you see them on social media promoting and then you feel that you're not doing mm -hmm. anything. But it's not that you're not, not doing anything. You just don't have the money to put everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you could say like, oh, but it's free to upload stuff to YouTube and this. But those mm -hmm. sometimes those people don't know how much a videographer costs. What is the editing of exactly. that cost? You know, and what does that camera cost? Because it's like, oh, well, you just take your own videos, do it on iPhone. Yeah, you can do those things. And sometimes those things do pop off for sure. But <laughs> on a consistent level, you know, Sarah Droz can make her career from, you know, using an iPhone and taking videos of her in her bedroom. But the videos she's doing now are not like that. About your podcast, what story do they share in common? Yeah, and I would say really the podcast was a way to just conversations that I would have with my friends or colleagues It's just mm -hmm. putting two mics up or recording it and then putting it out and producing it and stuff. It's really just transitioning those conversations that I just have with real people in my life, some of which I've built relationships with, most of which to like a professional setting. But we talk a lot about school and I think it's on a lot of our mm -hmm. minds because it was such a big investment of our time, energy and yeah. money. So we, we go back and talk through that a lot. Usually, I think we talk mm -hmm. about what to do in those first years out of school, too. You know, those are tricky years and any more guidance in those in that time is helpful. What was your experience about mm -hmm. graduated from music school? Because that's also a topic that I touch a lot mm -hmm. here because a lot of mm -hmm. people, when they graduate from music school, they, they need guidance because it's like you say, the, their mm -hmm. first years, they don't know what they're going to do with their lives. Even me, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm an architect and I'm, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. I graduated from LA and after mm -hmm. I finished school, I literally didn't know what to do. Absolutely. How was your experience with that? How did you deal with that? It was it was definitely really hard. Um, you know, I learned how to uh, cook. You know, that was a big thing of I learned how to kind of feed myself fairly cheaply. And that was kind of a big way of me to ascend into my like, true adulthood of sorts. I was walking dogs. You know, there was the crazy thing I did where I was like traveling three to three and a half hours from the train and bus in Boston to go walk these three little dogs and make like seventy five dollars. <sighs> like a couple of days a week or something. And I was walking maybe another dog. And and then I, I met someone, a, a mentor, and I started working the box office of this venue called Club Passim. And it was definitely like a start at the beginning again. And having been at NEC and gone, you know, played at Spoleto and played on the Boston Symphony Hall as a principal percussionist of, you know, Firebird and the show. And I'd done some things in the classical music realm that was, I had a resume. Then I found myself, you know, three to four nights a week, like cleaning out the trash in the bathroom and sweeping the floors. And mm -hmm. that was really good for me. It was hard, but it was really good for me to just go start from the bottom with that. And then after I got to know that community at Club Passim, uh, they had an outreach coordinator position open up and I had applied before, but it opened up again and I applied and was able to get that position. And that gave me real stability where biweekly check coming in and And things like that. Even when I was working in the box office at the venue, that was like, wow, I have like a consistent check that comes in sometimes, like depending on how, I, <laughs> you know, which shows I work. And so that I've always done that. I've always had that. And that's uh, been really, really good for me. Um, so I've my kind of 
structure is, you know, I have these admin abilities and I use them. Mm -hmm. You know, I have this ability to organize and coordinate and produce or whatever Mm -hmm. and make, you know, event management essentially. Uh, And I I use that and I use that as a, a base, you know, for me. People who, you know, only play music and they're hustling from gig to gig to gig. I think I think that's awesome. I think the thing that can be tricky with that is you st- the idea of playing music to make money so that you can survive puts a lot of pressure on music. Yes. Um, oh my god, yes, absolutely. It puts a lot. Yeah, it when you're playing a gig so that you can buy groceries, that Oh my god, yeah. puts a lot of pressure on music and what music can do for anybody. But, you know, some people can, you know, hit stuff off or, or um, you know, be in a band or whatever it is. You know, people, everyone's got different situations. But I do enjoy being able to sometimes pick what I want to do. I mean, now it's different, you know, the pandemic. But pre to that, I could be a little picky. And I was getting to the point where I could be a little more picky. And, and that was a good place for me to be in. What streams can musicians have to serve their audiences that it's not only live performing? Yeah, I think teaching... You know, I think teaching is something I see my friends doing, which I, I love mm-hmm. to teach. I love to teach more people. If there's anyone out there who wants to learn drum set, cajon, percussion, any of that stuff, I'm I available. love it. Um, but <laughs> I see some friends who, you know, have their online studios and stuff. The other one that I started, I've known about for years and tried to learn more about, but I really started studying it in about June, which is sync music licensing. Yeah. I think that's a big one. That's one I'm, you know, digging more into and looking to get my music on some uh, a library or an agency of sorts. It's something I think musicians talk about, but they don't really know how it all works. And you do have to study it. Yeah. But I think teaching is where I see people consistently doing things. And and I think, you know, I speak for myself. I'm usually working part-time at Club Asim, and then I consider myself a full-time musician as well. So I'm work, I work a lot, but the music thing is... It's mostly investing my time into my compositions and and being able to practice in a way that I haven't been able to practice since I was in school. Um, and also, it's, there's just so much upkeep to just being an adult, you know, just keeping up with all of your stuff, let alone your podcast and getting groceries and, you know, just playing <laughs> the week. Like, there's just things as an adult that just take up time. And then um, I just found one called Sound Better like a database of musicians to be contacted to do remote recordings on someone's album or whatever. So say someone wants a vibraphonist, I'm now on there and you could contact me and, and there's amazing musicians on there. Um, but that was one I just found that I'd like to dig more in. And there's like different ones, you know, I think it's never a bad thing to be easily found and available online, but I think something I'm looking to do more of, which is harder and takes more time, but to find local schools and to reach out to those music teachers and try to make a personal connection. Or, you know, the big thing too, is people were telling me when I was just looking for this new apartment and stuff is like, work your network and, you know, go to the people who you know, or know you the best first and, you know, just let them know that you're looking, let them know what you're offering. And if they know anybody, but just kind of put it out there. And the big thing too, you know, post, 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 like not like all the time, but maybe a couple times a week or once a week or something of just the posts that we put out don't get seen by a lot of people. And also when they see something once, it just, that is nothing. You know, they really do have to see it multiple, multiple times for it to be a thing. You know, it just takes repetition to know that communication in a scrolling format. How do you practice your craft 
the same way you were practicing at school if you don't have like a music day job that gives you deadlines. I think about that all the time. And I've done, you know, the tricks that I play on myself are to, uh, you know, it's like I'm going to put my podcast out on Tuesdays or, or on Wednesdays. So, you know, I kind of commit to myself. I have a whiteboard that I that worked for me for a while, kind of gotten away from it a little bit as my life has changed. Before, maybe a month or two ago, I got to the live stream thing and was doing live streams and then I would promote it, you know, the week before, or a few days before and do that. But I think whatever you can do to give yourself a deadline, essentially, is that's how I, I find I work and a lot of people I know work is how can you trick yourself into having some sort of deadline, you know? And sometimes I use social media in that way. Like if I advertise something on social media, I have yeah. to, I, I'm committed to doing it because otherwise, you know. You're going to be flaky for your audience, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you could, you know, you could, and it doesn't have to be every week. You could do it every other week or something, but that's something I've, you know, I'm projecting. That's what I should do for myself. But, you know, that that's a way you can create some, you know, put yourself in a little bit of a box to help you feel a little bit of pressure not all stress is bad what do you think are millennial songs or or millennial uh, lyric trending millennial production styles what examples i think art in general right now is a lot more about who made it than what it's about Mm -hmm. and i'm not judging that at all i think there's a lot of representation and diversity going on right now so yeah. I think there's a lot of curators and museums or whatever trying to make up for that. Basically, it's like trying to get different voices heard that haven't been heard or different perspectives, perspectives that haven't been shared enough. Yeah. Tell me about your music. put out a re-release of a track called Absent that has uh, me singing and playing the vibraphone. And that's something I've been doing for a while. And so that was like my first vocal track to put out, which was really nice. And I think there's a lot more vocal stuff to come from me which I'm really excited for. One of the reasons that I became a percussionist was because I love to feel and play music through my whole body. You have rhythm inside of you and whatever you pick up, you can bring that out in. And I love that. You have rhythm in a concept. I can pick up the guitar and I don't know how to play the real guitars, but I can do things and play with its color and approach the instrument in a different way that there's still rhythm in my sound concept. There's some scores from my first album up on my website that you could... Learn to play yourself. You can play it on piano. It's kind of open instrumentation. I would love for people to purchase the scores. Love it. Love it. Love it. So tell us, where can people find you if they want to learn much more about you, about your music, about your teaching, about your podcast, about everything? The big thing for me is julianloida.com on my website. You can find my music. You can find my scores, the podcast, past collaborations, bands, my teaching. So guys, Julian Loida on the website, julianloida.com. In all digital platforms, I'm a millennial musician, Apple podcast. Just go to the website and you'll find everything about him from his music to his teaching. Thank you so much for joining. I know that you have so much to do with your time. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you want to listen more content like this. Thank you so much and see you next episode.